part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition, Belvedere Vodka is all-natural and made with 100% non-GMO Polska rye and pristine water. Belvedere has championed Polska rye vodka and superior natural ingredients since its inception and continues their mission with its new Belvedere Single Estate Rye Series. These award-winning vodkas, Smogari Forest and Lake Bartenjek, are two distinct-tasting vodkas born from unique terroir and expert craftsmanship. Speaking of craftsmanship, I think you'll really enjoy listening to today's guest, Zach Lowe, who is one of the ultimate craftsmen in the media game. Taste the difference and enjoy Belvedere's new single estate rye vodkas on the rocks or in a delicious cocktail today. Belvedere is a quality choice. Drinking responsibly is too. All right, welcome to this week's episode of the JJ Reddick Podcast. We have a few shows lined up. I apologize for the long break in between shows, just trying to enjoy my off-season and uh, prepare for my third straight summer of free agency. I think by now everyone knows my thoughts on free agency, um, but I am excited and um, I want to just get straight into my conversation with Zach. Lots to unpack. Here we go. And we're now joined by Zach Lowe. Zach, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, you came on my podcast with Yahoo uh, a few years ago, and uh, you're, uh, you're a two-time guest of the JJ Rick podcast. Is that so it? Is that it. all it is? That's all it is. I think I've been on yours like seven times. No, it's not that many, <laughs> but I, I owe you one, at least one more after yeah, this. You do owe me one. Um, and I'm glad that I got you at this time of year. This time of year, to me might be the best time of year for the NBA. There's three, there's three sort of periods, I would say, that I really enjoy. And, and one is the trade deadline. Two is the playoffs and the finals. Although at times over the last few years, those have been sort of anticlimactic. And then third, sort of the, the draft and the lead up and then the first few days of free agency. Well, really, that's all. The, the last two are just all one thing now playoffs till now there's just no it's just all one it all continuous three-month extravaganza for you what is your favorite time of year i think there has to be a separation though between the draft and free agency and the playoffs just because the playoffs are an actual product on the court like something's happening on the court whereas you know the the draft and free agency is just acquisition movement and hope i like the first week of the season when you get to see like all this stuff you've been thinking about all summer, like, oh, that's how it looks. That's how, that's that's this coach's first crack at this new roster. That's kind of fun. Uh, I love the finals. Um, I, I don't love being away from my family for the entirety of it, but there is something about, there is something about um, being just the back and forth, the travel, it's grueling, but there's just something about you feel like you're in the series and this is the only thing that matters and you're just, you're with it the whole time. You're at every practice, every shoot around. It's it, it's a cool, it was a little bit of a bummer that some of the AD stuff and, and other stuff took away from the finals this year because I like when the finals is like sacred. It's the only show in town. So I like the finals. This, this is fun. It's just, it's easy to get a little, I mean, I can't imagine living it, but it's easy to look ahead and get like preemptively stressed out about how much stuff there's going to be 
like, do I have to react to every signing? What to, 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 like, yeah. just like, I just, I'm not good at just like, let, let this wash over me and just have fun with it. As a player, you're definitely not either. But even last week, uh, you know, we were, we were supposed to do the podcast uh, a week ago today and uh, Mike Conley got traded, you know, and you had to write an article and uh, I said, oh, let's do it next week or whatever. It just seems like there's always sort of something happening in the NBA. August is, is the one down period of time. The, um, I keep going back to like, as a player, you can sort of get frustrated by sort of the lack of purity at times uh, of, of basketball and like why you actually love the sport. And at times I sort of have to remind myself that I am taxed as an entertainer. And that's ultimately what we're doing. I don't know. That's sort of fucked up, but that's that's kind of our reality. It's like almost WWE at times. And for whatever reason, it feels like the last, call it three to five years, has only amplified that. That's why I like the finals as a relief from that. Because it's like you go to the finals and you're like, this is to play in this game. Like there is just, there is no nonsense. You can't, you can't, it's hard to be, limited at any part of the game and play in that game. Like I, the last time I was in Philly actually was for game six of your series against the Raptors, which you won. And I was in my hotel room. I was in my hotel lobby and I saw Lloyd Pierce there, the Hawks coach. It's like, what the hell is Lloyd Pierce doing here? He was with Kevin Herter because he's doing the thing that Brett did in Philly early on. And he's taking all the young Hawks guys to like super high stakes playoff games, sitting on court side and be like, this is what it looks like, man. Like you want to be in the conference finals in three years or four years or whatever the Hawks timetable is like, this is the level of game you got to play in. Cause those games, and you've been in them like particularly if you ever got to face a team like the Warriors and they got those guys running around, like your, your level of mental locked inness is like, I can't even imagine it. Like it's mentally draining to watch the game. I can't imagine what it's like to play in like a regular season game in January. That's cool. But like those kind of games, those are awesome. And then to do it five, six, seven times against the same people over and over again, it's mentally, emotionally, physically draining. LP, when he was at the game with with Kevin, like uh, Chris Babcock, who's one of our player development guys with the Sixers, was like, LP is bringing uh, Kevin today and they're just going to, he wants to watch you warm up. And then they're going to sit near the court and they're going to, you know, take in their first playoff game. I think such a cool experience. So your your power rankings then go playoffs, <laughs> not play- playoffs, I can't, finals, I can't finals. Do playoffs. Okay, finals. Last two rounds of the playoffs. finals, first week of season. No, if this is better than the first week of the season, I just want to give the I just want to give the early season a little okay. shout out. Like here, this is back. Like this okay. is what it looks like. But like, the first cool. week of the season can be so misleading. That's can be so misleading. But that's part of the fun of it. Is like is and like, and also, but also, th- this is the thing from my perspective, like there's, what is it? Recency bias. Yeah. So like a guy will come out and first five games and just be on fire and you know, it'll be like January and he's shooting under 40% from the field and people will be like, Oh, he's having a great season because of what he did right at the beginning. And then there's guys that get overlooked because maybe they get off to a slow start. And then you look up, like you've said this to me before. I think one of my years in LA, yeah, got off to little- I got off to a really slow start. You texted me. It was, you were going to be, in one of the cities we were getting ready to play in, and you texted me, and you were like, dude, I thought you were having a bad shooting season. You're shooting 41% yeah. from three. It happened to Clay this year, too, although Clay, yeah. it came fast in the second half oh of the season. God. All of a sudden, Clay was like shooting 41%. You're like, okay, well, Clay's, Clay's like early season shooting struggles that were supposedly a thing were not a thing. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, so this, this is second after the finals free agency yeah. draft. Yeah. This is better. This to me is better than the trade deadline. I, I like this better than the trade deadline for a transactional. 
I don't know why. I just liked it better. This was a good trade deadline because you actually had the deals where like, okay, the good teams are loading up. Like Marcus Ole, Miritich, Tobias. 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 You know, a couple a days, few days before. before yeah. yeah. It's it's for a player, it's the it, the it's a gift and a curse that the this player movement, right? Because it's exciting for the league. I think you can sort of get out of situations easier than maybe you would be if you got locked in. But then at the same time, like I think there's a lot of guys that basically for the foreseeable future, unless something changes with the cap or strategy of teams, like we're going to be locked into short-term deals. And that's just, to me, that's the new normal. Like obviously 2016 was an anomaly, but the weird part about 2016 was guys were getting four-year deals. And the last, all of which ended badly. Right. And then some of it was just straight overpaying, but some of it was certainly giving out four-year deals to guys that shouldn't have got four-year deals. And the pendulum, to me, has like swung so far the other way. And I'm interested to see. This is what I'm interested in. I was We were talking down in the lobby. This is what I'm interested to see is the teams that are going after the big guys, right? Do they then move to second-tier guys and give them four-year deals or even three-year deals? Or do they only give them one-year, two-year deals? And there's going to be a whole lot of really good players, I think, that are going to face the same sort of new normal that that I've faced the last two summers, which is like, you're going to be on a short-term deal. It doesn't really necessarily mean they're older or they're it's not going to age well. They're just teams like having this flexibility now. Particularly teams in certain markets. Like, that's all the Knicks noise is. Well, if we don't get these guys, we'll do Cousins one year 20. We'll do, like, I don't know if... I don't know if they would even do like D'Angelo Russell for four years, even though he's 23 and he's theoretically like a guy you should want on your team for the next yeah. four years. I mean, that's that's an interesting name. But I was going over with someone in a front office yesterday. He literally read me like 40 different names and was like, how much do you think these guys are going to make? And we just went bam, 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 bam. And it's all guys like third tier guys maybe. And I was like, first of all, it was a great exercise. He's like, man, there are just a ton of free agents. And second, and even though there's so much cap room, there's going to be so many guys that are decent players that fall through the cracks. We're going to get to the end of free agency. It's going to be like, wait a second. Why did that dude get 12 and that guy got three? Like what? What? Like he was like, Wes Matthews. What does Wes Matthews get? And I was like, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Damari Carroll. And I was like. Uh, four, eight, 12, one. Like, I don't like, I don't even like, what is the rhyme or reason to any of this? There's so many dudes. Like it's literally almost half the league. I think there's, there's going to be a lot of that this summer. The very, those variables I think are always at play. Like the timing of everything, you know, sort of waiting to see how chips fall. There's always guys that sort of are in that, uh, in that position this summer though, there's two things at play. You have you have all these teams and really like a lot of big market teams that have sort of saved up this cap space and their motivation behind it is not just to get good players, right? It's like, we're all in or bust. Like you mentioned the Knicks and it's like, we're going to, and Clippers could be in the same boat, let's say. Yeah. Um, where if they don't get one of the top tier one guys, they just hand out a one-year deal and there's this slow patience. So as a player, again, I, I'm just from my perspective, like at some point, you know, you've got to like try to be a, a, a really good basketball team and maybe not, you're not a championship team. And there are certain teams that, you know, have consistently done that where they're not sort of, all right, we're going to take the patient approach and we're okay. Just rolling over this cap space again and again. And we're actually going to go try to get players. Cause ultimately like the player acquisition piece is, is huge. And you want guys to be in that position to 
help build your culture long term. And it, I think it's at times frustrating for a lot of players now to see, oh, I had a great year. I'm staring at another one year deal. I can imagine. I can imagine that is frustrating. You got to do. I have to move. Do I have to move my family? <laughs> um, and to, to your point, like it's hard to create anything sustainable that way. Like, let's say the Knicks go out and sign a bunch of good veterans on one-year deals and win 35 games next year. Okay, so what are you selling to the next class of free agents? All those guys are already up. Like, if your young guys don't get better, you got nothing. That's why the net the Nets can at least say, hey, look, if we strike out, we have this team that is provably a pretty good team. And we can tell the next group of star players, like, this team is already a 45-win team. Like, it's a real sustainable team of young. And now some of them are going to have to get paid soon. And, like, the timing of that stuff is always interesting, too. Like, you only get so many windows before the rookie contracts are up and all of a sudden you have a stacked salary cap. Philly is a great example of that. Yeah. Where, you know, they sort of kept the cap space, kept this cap space, collected assets, and then ultimately we started cashing in on those assets with the Jimmy trade and the Tobias trade. Um, but, like, knowing that, before we made those trades that really this summer was going to be the last yeah. summer to have that sort of flexibility in terms of cap space. And, and obviously with, you know, Ben's extension, assuming Ben gets an extension, then going into next year, you wouldn't have that flexibility. It's funny though. Randomly, they picked two really good summers. I mean, they didn't end up getting any free agents, but like last summer and this summer oh, turned thanks. out to be bi- the biggest ones, the big, you know, we were talking before in the lobby about LeBron and all of this, but like two really good, yeah. two really good summers. Well, they got you back. So I don't know if that counts. Last summer, they got you back. A resign, a resign. Yeah, it's, they got you back. Um, Great. We, we we're talking about free agency and and sort of uh, motivation of teams to sort of get to where the Raptors were this year and where the Warriors have been. You know, the motivation is always to win a championship. Um, and like in your mind, which player do you think has the ability to to change the NBA landscape the most? The, the two obvious ones, I'm just going to take them away. Take like, them off. KD and Kawhi, right? Okay. We're going to take those guys off. What What is the next guy for you? Or maybe a tier of guys. I mean, it could be a trade guy, right? It could be like, does Bradley Beal ever get moved? To, does, does a team make a play for Bradley Beal? It could be, does Kevin Love ever get moved? Because the next group of free agents, like, I guess the next guy is Jimmy. Like, yeah. depending on yeah. what Jimmy does, because all the teams flirting with him are already really good teams. Right. And so he has the ability to make a good team better and a good and another good team worse by leaving. And he's really good. He's really good. And um, also, I think he's one of those guys that is is perfect for modern NBA playoffs. Like you just you just you need guys like him on your team, guys that can create one on one, guys that can guard multiple positions. Yeah, you know he's one of a handful of guys that can do that at at an elite level. One of the guys for me, and I was actually, now I guess I wouldn't surprise, but I was intrigued when, when Horford opted out. Because I think he, to me, is another guy, and maybe he doesn't put up the numbers or, or, or that sort of thing that some of these other guys do, but to me, can, can really help a team. Um, and, and having played a lot against him the last two years uh, in Philly, you know, to me, he was like, he was the key to their team. He's a monster. And like, that's, I, mean, I didn't realize how good he was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you really didn't even as a, I, no, I mean, watching him for the Hawks and, you yeah. know, playing in LA or playing against him early in my, or early in my career and early in his career. 
when I was in Orlando, uh, you know, just to see the accumulation of knowledge and skills that he has now at this age, it's it's remarkable. He's really good. Sometimes you want him to be a little more selfish or you want the offense designed for him to be a little more selfish. But um, yeah, he's just, he does everything right. He's just like, he's just helping every possession in the right direction on both ends. And like defensively, how many guys in the league can credibly guard Embiid and Giannis? Now, Giannis figured him out by the latter part of that series, but like he's still the guy you can put on Giannis and feel like you're not at an enormous disadvantage, which is rare. And he's a guy you can put on and like he gave Joel a lot of problems. Like and to the degree like I didn't think he could do that to Joel. If you're Kemba Walker, what do you do? Like what do you think is the best situation for him? Depends what you want, right? Like if Charlotte is not throwing the boat at him, well if there's the Supermax boat which is gone and he walked off, he he like jumped off that boat himself by saying I would take a discount um, of the supermax. Um, then do you, wait, do you think that that's, it's really like he, he said, I don't want the supermax. Like I'll be willing to take, do you, I think I Kemba's think he, such a nice guy that he was just giving the politically correct answer. Or he was aware that the supermax was never coming. Um, great point. Uh, so, so then there's the full five-year boat yeah. that he can, the normal one. If they're not coming with that. I just feel like there is no, there is no path for Charlotte with him to ever get anything like really good. And so if I'm him, like I'm 29 years old, I'm really, really good. Like if the difference is the fifth year and it's not even the full, the full salary difference, like I'm going to go, Boston's kind of interesting. I'm going to go somewhere I can win. Like the Lakers would be interesting. If the Lakers can actually open up that space, like that's an, like I want to go somewhere where I can win and I don't have to do all the heavy lifting like I did in Charlotte where I, he ran, you know, every single possession was about Kemba. By necessity, not because he's selfish. I think, too, like in talking about Kemba to Dallas, right? That's been talked about. Let's say, let's say even like Jimmy to Houston, right? Kemba to the Lakers. Jimmy to Lakers. Although I kind of like that one. Uh, like for, for their team, obviously not for the 76ers. Yeah. But uh, like I, I think a lot of times like we're, we're, we're sort of linking these guys. But like the Kemba to the Dallas thing doesn't really make sense to me just because of Doncic's skill set. I would want him to have the ball as much as possible. And I think there's just like this this mad rush to put these super teams together still. And the Warriors, what made them so unique, and I, I, I'm going to talk about this a ton with Iguodala next week on the pod, but what made them so unique was just how all of their skill sets complement each other. So there's like two sort of notions, like, Player acquisition, let's get a guy we'll figure it out later, i.e. Houston, Houston with Chris and James. That was a great example. Or it's like a really sort of measured approach to like how do these pieces fit. And I think there's like, there's got to be some talk like we have a max slot, but none of these pieces really fit. Should we divide that up between player X and player Y, right? Also, you need depth. Like you can't go into the playoffs with four good players and it's it's hard. Like unless those four good players are for the top 15 or 20 players in the league, it's hard. And, you know, the one ball, it's like the one ball thing, right? There's only one ball. But it, it is interesting to think about Kemba and Dallas because that's your first reaction. Right? So Luca's their point guard, like for all, for all intents and purposes, he's their point guard. But then you look at like LeBron has historically needed another guy who can take the load off him and create shots. And that's why Kemba to LA is kind of interesting as like a new Kyrie um, to, for what LeBron is. So I like, I, you know, it, it is hard, but you're right. Golden state just found this magic of like, 
all the shooting they have, all the guys that are willing to work off the ball, Draymond's ability to play make, like that's just that's just lightning in a bottle you don't get. But I think actually you guys, I was saying this all year, you guys in Philly seem to be in the let's just get we'll get guys and fit now obviously Tobias is a very good shooter. You needed spacing. Jimmy ended up essentially as a point guard and he needed a little bit of that. Shot creation. Shot creation. Yeah. But I had th- I thought along the way Philly versus Milwaukee, like Milwaukee just went all in on fit. Like we have this one guy, everyone else is going to be a shooter to some degree. I mean, Bledsoe obviously is hit or miss a little bit, but they went all in on fit, 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 fit. And you guys went more towards the talent, 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 talent. And I was, that would have been an interesting playoff series to see. But I, I think in the end, you guys, the fit was better than people anticipated. I think we worked the fit out. But I think also the depth part, you brought it up. And like the depth part is huge. I, I think it was... If you looked at the the Toronto series, right, the minutes that Joel was on the court versus off the court, it's one of the best stats ever. Yeah, I mean, it I was don't a, remember what the exact stat was. I think it was like plus ninety or my one of them was in the nineties. Whether it was plus yeah. or my, it was like some enormous like yeah. cartoonish figure. Obviously, that will be a, a huge piece for us or for the Seventy Sixers. You know, in, in free agency, is just figuring out some someone to fill those minutes. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think that I always thought it was going to be us in Milwaukee in the in the conference finals, like, and I I would have I would have enjoyed sort of playing in that series. That would have been a good series. Were you surprised at all? Toronto won. No, they you weren't. Well, I mean, obviously- no, I mean when you when you get to the finals, and obviously, you know, Kevin's going to miss some time, and Clay hurts his hamstring. Like at that point, no surprise. But let's say coming into our series, I picked him to win your series. Thanks. Sorry. Whole, I think there was only one person from the ESPN panel that one picked me. us to win. One me. It was not you. Uh, I picked them to go to the finals before the playoffs. But okay. I'll, t- I'll tell you what happened, though. The next the next round, I waffled and I picked Milwaukee because in Game 7 of your series, they just reached a point where nobody else wanted to shoot the ball except for Kawhi. And and I I watched that game and I was like, boy, if this is how they're if this is how these guys are reacting to a pressure moment, like I don't know if I can trust them to beat I don't know if they're as good as I thought. And obviously you guys are, are better than, than I had thought. But that game freaked me out a little bit about Toronto. But their ability to just kind of shed that. And Kyle comes out in game one against Milwaukee. Now they lose. But he comes out in game one and has 30-something. And he's like, I'm back. It's fine. We're good. Like, I'm good to go. It was impressive. Hang tight, Zach. We're going to hear from our sponsor. With two-thirds of guys experiencing noticeable hair loss by age 35, most guys assume losing their hair is inevitable as they age. Some don't care, some shave their heads, some embrace hats. But what they don't know is that there are FDA-approved medications designed to stop hair loss and even regrow hair. That's why we're excited to partner with our sponsor, Roman. Roman makes it easy to get safe, FDA-approved hair loss treatment, all from your phone or computer. And when you go to GetRoman.com slash Reddick, your online visit is free. You can consult with a U.S. licensed physician through their secure online platform. There's no awkward conversations with receptionists or reading bad magazines in the waiting rooms. Once your doctor ensures that treatment will be safe and effective for you, Roman's dedicated pharmacy can ship your medication to you with a free two-day shipping in discreet packaging. If you're noticing unwanted hair loss, starting treatment early is key and Roman can help. And today, Roman is giving the JJ Reddick podcast listeners a free online visit at getroman.com slash Reddick. That's getroman.com slash Reddick. For a free visit to get started, go to getroman.com slash Reddick.
And now back to my conversation with Zach Lowe. All right, changing gears a little bit, but I think it was in March, you wrote an article, maybe it was February, right before I came on your podcast about the fuckery in our league. Just to, uh, no, it was in the off season. It was the off season. You're talking about my my absurd Hall of Fame, which you <laughs> didn't like. Was that the off season? Yeah. Jeez, it's been a long season. Um, it's been a very long season. It really has been. Remember there, when Orlando was up one game to none against Toronto? Yeah, I do. I do. The amount of crazy storylines in our league. Part of what makes it uh, so entertaining. Let's just call it in the last in the last year or two years like what do you think what do you think is the most bizarre thing and i'll give you i'll give you some time do you want me to do a sixers only category or do you <laughs> want me to just do league league wide because the sixers the sixers have had a lot of moments i don't want to belabor those we all know what they are uh, but my point to this is like the season's over right and then there's this like this unfortunate like hit piece basically on Chris Paul and the Rockets. Oh, right? I thought you I thought you were gonna call my piece a hit no, piece. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It was a hit piece on Chris. I'm I'm sorry. I'm just gonna call it what it was. And then the Rockets are in dysfunction, you know? And then like so Al Horford opts out and the Celtics are in dysfunction. And it's just it's just nonstop, it seems like. And I I ha I, I in my in my sort of in my mind, the the craziest story. I sort of lived through it and it's still ongoing. And that's with sort of just the Markel thing. And it, that to me is like, and number one, it's like, I, I'm hopeful at the same time, obviously what we, I think everybody is hopeful, but to, living through that was one of the strangest things that, that I've ever sort of experienced in my career. That's certainly you know, when, when I said a Sixers only category, I mean, that's, that's at the, that's at the top of the list. Um, that's at or near the top of the list. Houston is sort of like run of the mill dysfunction. Like you, you could have seen that one coming. The AD thing was a little bit of a circus, like even to the, to the point of wearing this stupid t-shirt, which then of course he predictably says was picked out by a stylist as if you uh, can't pick out a t-shirt by himself. Um, uh, you actually do, you do know that the, the, the stylist pick out every game outfit. I, I know that that's okay. I, so, yeah. I, I, on, no, obviously he had to, he had to put the t-shirt on. His yeah. own body. Yeah. But you have veto power. Like if you're on a five game road trip, someone like if you have a stylist, they part of the the, the package of what you're paying for is they they pick out your do you outfits have a stylist? and then they pack your bags for you. No, I I do not have a stylist. I just know this from talking to get because I've asked guys like what is what like what do you what's what are you exactly exactly paying for? And the fees. Oh my god. Yeah, fees. you got money to light on fire if you yeah. need someone to pick out your clothes. Especially if it's if it's t-shirts. Like I have t-shirts. Here's a pile of t-shirts. I put them in my suit. Now suits that you need tailored, they need to be fitted, and like you need to know what kind of like that stuff. Fine. Okay. I'm trying to think what other bizarre things have happened. The Celtic saga is bizarre, but that's not that's like basketball bizarre. I don't know. I'd have to get some time to to think about the truly I truly. I text you this beforehand. No, I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking through the. But standings. I feel like in a weird way you're just leaning towards the Sixers. I I don't know why I feel like that. Well, I'm on your podcast. You're <laughs> still for 72 more hours. You're uh, the early um, the early Jim Boylan mutiny in Chicago was that was like a fun 96 hours. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, like they almost didn't show up and then there were push-ups involved and maybe I'm making up the push-ups part, but there, there was that's the committee called. Oh, the leadership council. The leadership that was council. delightful. That was delightful. That was good. That was a, that was a good call. I think it still exists. I think it's still going. No, just, a, it's, it's a lot of crazy stuff. A lot of crazy stuff. Um, Joel, what did Landry Shamit say about Joel? Didn't Landry come out and say that 
it was his job to get like oh, 17 with the milkshakes the or Chick-fil-A something. Thing. I actually, you know, so I don't know that I've ever actually seen Joel drink all four of those milkshakes. But yes, there was- Chick-fil-A makes milkshakes? Yeah. I didn't know that. There's some whipped cream on top. Okay. And they're phenomenal. But yeah, you had, he had to get Joel, you know, X amount of chicken sandwiches, X amount of fries, and then- and then some some milkshakes, but most of the time the milkshakes got taken to the back, and and somebody else consumed them. Non non player. So these these crazy stories are happening. Bronze showing up with wine to a game. that was a good moment. That's a good one. Yeah, I would love to get to the point in my life where I have zero fucks given, and you know that's that to me is just the ultimate boss move to show up to a game with a glass of red wine. Yeah, a goblet. goblet of red wine the night of the porzingis trade was crazy like when all of that was breaking when it went from porzingis had a meeting with new york and expressed discontent to wait something wait wait, he's out he's on dallas what's happening like that was a wild that was a wild three hours is is dysfunction the new normal or do we just hear about shit more i think everything is a story now so like the the uh a good example i think was the Minnesota practice with Jimmy, which you've talked about on your podcast with him and probably even heard more about. Derek Rose writes about in his book that basically it was exactly as Jimmy described of just basically him shit talking, trying to get people motivated. He took one shot, took one shot. It was a layup and everybody lost, lost their mind. I mean, that was a bizarre, that was a bizarre first month of the season with, with all the Jimmy stuff. But like that practice now, I don't know. I'm not an NBA player, but there were some players who subsequently came out and said, well, it's not that unusual to have like a contentious practice and some mouthing off here and there. And then some people said it was. And then you had the Wizards thing where Wall cursed out Grunfeld or be one of Wall. Like yeah, but someone to me, got this is all for, just normal. That's what I'm saying. Now, it's but all now just it's just normal. Now it's a story. Now everything, now people are, some people are leaking it to, and every, every mini scoop within a scoop within a scoop yeah. is now a pat on the back. So everything comes out now. Which brings me to a very much larger sort of conversation um, about the role of media right now, the relationship between players and media, and really like a disconnect, I think, between players and media in terms of like the large portion of what I would describe as media, meaning the people like yourself or Kevin Arnovitz, um, you know, the, the writers from The Athletic, like there's there's people, I think a lot of people actually with genuinely good intentions in, in terms of putting meaningful content and meaningful stories. And then there's certainly writers and, and, and team bloggers that, you know, are trying to create clickbait. Like that's just the world we live in now. And, and then the other part of this, and, and Andre and I talk about this next week too, is like, the other part of this is the aggregation of headlines and how headlines sort of get twisted. And then all of a sudden, you know, a guy will say, well, I'm not, I'm not talking to this outlet anymore. Um, or I'm not, I'm not going to give any quotes anymore. I'm not going to deal with the media because my words got twisted, but it was, wasn't necessarily because a media member twisted it, the specific writer twisted it. It was, you know, bleach, let's say bleacher report runs a, runs a headline. And then a couple Instagram accounts pick it up. And before you know it, the headline got twisted. And that's the world you live in. How do you feel about that? It's stressful. Um, I mean, there's also the sort of art of the one source story where you get a famous player by yourself for two minutes and he says something to you that's interesting. 
and you have to decide it's both it's both interesting and perhaps a little self-serving for that player and you have to decide is this a story or am i just now a vessel that's carrying this message and this message by being made public is going to create all this other earthquakes worth of stuff that is disfavorable is not favorable for the team or for the some so you just it, that 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 particular kind of story is hard to do or it's it's arranged interviews through agencies or PR. I don't think anybody's surprised to hear that. No, no, no. I'd say like, like you can get good access, but I don't do those a lot because like, I'm going to write a more complete story that there's, that's going to have stuff that they don't like. And then I'm going to get yelled at. And I just don't have like an hour in my day to get yelled at by this person anymore. Um, but it's, it's, um, I, I, I have to be more careful about what I say on my podcast because sometimes when you get rolling, when you get rolling and it's exciting discussion, like you, you might use a word, that is too, too strong for what you actually know to be true or it's, 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 and, and then that, or the, you haven't made the right implication. It's, 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 it's a machine, man. It's hard. It's hard. Well, a lot of what you write to is like the deep dive yeah. and you know, you'll say to me like, Hey, I'm coming to Philly to write an article, just a heads up. Right. Um, and I'm aware, like, I don't really know what you're sort of going for. And like a lot of times like if you have a sit down with, let's say a coach, like there are some parameters like, Hey, this is sort of the, the arc of the story, or this is the, the context of what I want to talk about. But I would assume just given sort of the complete picture that you try to paint, that there is, there's negative feedback afterwards. Oh yeah. Where you're getting calls or texts from players, coaches, agents, whoever, PR people from teams. Like, what the fuck did you just write? It happens. It, it hasn't been as bad this year as it has as been in the past, because, you know, I think most people get it. Like I'm not, if you're expecting me to come do a puff piece on your team, like everything's great, everything's okay, and like the objective reality is not true, or somebody says something to me on the record that's inflammatory or interesting or controversial, like that's not my fault. That's that's like then I got to take that to other people, and like they get it. If I'm going to interview a coach or a player, and there's a sensitive, sensitive topic, I will tell that person like, "Hey, man, look, I'm not doing my job if I don't ask this question. So I'm going to ask it to you at some point." I don't play the gotcha game unless it's really necessary to play it. Like, I'm not going to just spring something crazy on people, but like, I'm going to like, look, I got to, I got to, I got to address this. And also if you don't address it, if you don't address it, let's say it's an X's and O's thing, or it's just something like I interviewed Ben during your Toronto series about the dunker spot for about 90 seconds about how he's in the dunker spot so much. He has an option.